Welcome to On the Road to No Place Left. This is Feeney, and I'm driving as we learn to share the gospel, make disciples, and reproduce leaders and churches until there is no place left where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard. I really enjoyed this conversation with Bud Houston about the unreached peoples of North America. It sharpened my thinking in several ways. Let's jump in. Wonder if you just wanted to kind of intro yourself and then tell us your story and, and specifically where where kind of God grew in you just this passion to see specifically in North America unreached peoples um, reached. Yeah, thanks. Um, my name's Bud Houston, and uh, I, I get to serve the body of Christ in a couple different ways uh, in DFW as a as a hub leader, uh, engaging unreached and mobilizing people to the gaps in DFW. But from a North American perspective. Uh, researching who are the least reached people groups in North America. So uh, I, I found I found over the last couple of years that I'm a better researcher because I'm a practitioner and I'm a better practitioner because I'm a researcher. And so they go hand in hand. So that's a little bit of uh, what I get to do now. And then specifically how, how the Lord's brought me to the point where I'm at now, just thinking about um, coming to faith as an adult, always. Uh, seems to be very impactful for people. And it was definitely impactful for me. Uh, I would look back and say, oh, I wish I was a believer younger. So I wouldn't have had to have all of these situations and circumstances in my life. And the Lord reminds me, uh, it's not that he was void of those situations and circumstances, that he's using them uh, today for mm -hmm. his purpose and for his glory. And really where my heart got bent towards the unreached was um, I'd been a believer less than a year, and the best way I can explain it is the Lord gave me a vision of what his his call was for my life. Mm. I didn't have the language to define all these things, unreached and near culture and close culture, but the the principle was clear that my role was was to really come alongside um, insiders, national partners, close culture people, and help them reach the unreached. And so if you're doing this and you don't have that partner, you have to be a cross-cultural missionary. That's how you find them. And so that's what really led me into this. And uh, I remember going to my pastor and saying, this is what the Lord's showing me. And he was like, yes, the Lord is showing you that because you don't come to those things on your own. Like <laughs> I had no cultural understanding that it's all I knew was it's probably way easier for a Filipino believer to reach a Thai Buddhist than me, right? Like that was the only point of reference I had. And along the journey, uh, you know, I really felt like, hey, I have to get equipped in, in these things. And so went went to school, took perspectives, did, did all of those things. And then really where the Lord really just uh, hit me with this idea of the unreached was, was about access, like access to the gospel and in a way that's cult culturally relevant to the hearer. So coming to faith at age 26, I grew up in Tennessee. And so I had access to the gospel, but still it took that long for me to, to honestly hear the gospel. I grew up in a city where, you know, there, there were more churches than there were grocery stores. You know, there were more churches than there were restaurants. It was like, that was the, the main real estate. But I really don't remember ever hearing the gospel until mm. I was an adult. Mm. And I just, I said, man, every single person should have the opportunity 
to, to hear the good news about Jesus. And then I get this picture of there are people who don't even have access. They don't have Bibles. They don't have missionary. They don't have someone to be a Christian witness to them. And then that's what broke my heart and pointed me then in this direction. And every single day, what continues to keep me going is I will have a conversation with a Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, or Sikh from you know the 1040 window from the least reached regions of the world in North America. And I will share the gospel with them and they'll say, I've never heard that. Mm. And that's what keeps me going. Yeah. I loved your your line, a better researcher because I'm a practitioner. I actually thought of the Dr. Luke who records Luke and Acts, right? Like, I love that we see he's actually, we, I think I would say a practitioner or for sure a co-worker of Paul. He gets called that as, and then he's also capturing the stories of Jesus, capturing the stories of Acts. Like, man, those go hand in hand. I love that. <clears throat> and on the research end, I feel like it'd be important and I actually don't know this, so not even asking a leading question, just curious. Um, I, I guess I have a, a sense of what an unreached people group is, unreached peoples are when we talk about the 1040 window, and feel free to define that. But then also, how do we take that definition and um, apply it to the situations you just said, people in North America, where they do at least have a chance, a much better chance of running into a believer, but there still is um, a lot of ways, as you've just said, a huge lack of access. They're not actually hearing it despite being in proximity. So we'd love for you to just kind of define some of those terms because I think they're important. Yeah, I think uh, the the first term we we have to defer, uh, define is, is people group, right? So uh, oftentimes we as researchers, as Westerners, as uh, workers in general, we want to define who and what is a people group. But by by definition of what a people group is, it's it's how the grouping of individuals perceive themselves. So just like if I can uh, give give a definition, it's it's a significantly large grouping of individuals who perceive themselves. So it's it's them who are defining to have a common affinity for one another because of uh, their shared language, religion, ethnicity, residence, occupation, class, situation or a combination of any of those. Mm -hmm. So when we think of a people group in, you know, just think of it, you mentioned the 1040 window, just so to define that between 10 degrees and 40 degrees latitude, where, you know, the majority of the unreached and unengaged live, mm -hmm. you pick a country like India that has thousands of those groupings, you know, you're going to have caste or class play a really big role in how they identify. Religion, ethnicity, language, all of that, but class is super high important in India. Mm -hmm. But once you have a group of Indians move to North America, the majority of them are high caste, but some are not. So caste becomes less important. And so what we find is how people identify in the diaspora mm -hmm. is wider than how they identify in their home country. Uh, so, for example, I grew up in the city of Portland, Tennessee. No one knows where that is. So now that I live in Texas, someone asks, where are you from? I say I'm from the Nashville area or I'm from Tennessee. Mm -hmm. I was just in Bangladesh. If someone in Bangladesh asks you where you're at, you don't say I'm from Tennessee or I'm from Texas. You you are from America. Mm-hmm. Right. So your identity gets wider the further you get away from your community. 
Mm-hmm. And in North America, a lot of communities are kind of mosaics. So if you think of how, how we define a specific people group from India is uh, Hindi speaking Hindus. Well, if you go to India, that's hundreds, maybe a thousand different people groups that are Hindu who speak Hindi. But in North America, it's language and religion that unite them. So their their identity got much broader than what it was in their home country. And then if we think about that's that's a people group. Now, how how do we define unreached? Well, there's lots of missiologists who have written on this. There's been numbers attached. Uh, for about the last 20 years, there's, there has been a, a number that's been been used. It's the number that we use, and that's what was put out um, by Joshua Project. That's kind of what we follow. And that's less than 2% evangelical and less than 5% Christian adherent. So Christian adherent would be uh, Catholic or Orthodox. Um, and so that's that's kind of the line. And the line is honestly arbitrary. What what has happened whenever you put a number to something, it becomes kind of like a light switch. Uh, they're unreached or they're reached. And it's really not it's really not that simple. So the the numbers are arbitrary, but it helps us start to define the task of what's left and what's been done. Mm-hmm. Another term I love you threw out there uh, that it took me a while before I knew what it meant. Um, di- diaspora. Do you want to define that? And then how does that unreached? I think I can put it together, but maybe just do it for me. Um, apply in the city of Dallas, right? I mean, Dallas I think is forty percent Christian adherence, but we wouldn't necessarily say that a, a gathering of Thai Buddhists are reached just because they're in proximity. So just kind of, if you want to define those two things too. Yes. The diaspora is just the term. It's actually a biblical term in the Bible, the Jews, there's the diaspora Jews. So that would be the Jews that were outside of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So diaspora is people who are just outside of their, their, their native country. So for example, in Dallas, Fort Worth, we have uh, 12 significant, uh, priority unreached people groups that that we are focusing and mobilizing toward. And so just for example, one of those would be uh, Kurds. So the Kurds originate in Iraq, Syria, Turkey, Iran. They're a unique people group. People think that they're Turkish or they're Arab or they're Persian. They're unique. And then even within that, there's three different languages. Mm. So when we look at those people, in Dallas, Fort Worth, the thousands of Kurds that live here, we can say that they're unreached because, you know, for 18 months I've been working with Kurds and we only know a handful of believers. There, there is no church, and there's there's no one actively saying it's my it's my stewardship to see the Kurds reached with the gospel. And so, because of their their community it becomes the larger the population of a people group in a diaspora setting it, the more insulary they can become which means mm-hmm. when they need to get their taxes done a kurds doing their taxes when they go shopping they're buying their meat from a kurd when they're getting their car worked on so really the opportunity for them to even interact with the believer is diminished and yes 40% you know estimated people in Dallas are christian adherent but how many of those people speak their language? Mm-hmm. How, how many people even know how to begin a spiritual conversation with the Muslim? And that's that's where mm-hmm. training and mobilization and you know being free with resources uh, helps. But that's how we can define someone in the diaspora as unreached, even though they're in proximity. Like 
one of the largest Kurdish communities in DFWs in Arlington. And on each side of their community, there's a church. And you go mm-hmm. to the church and you say, hey, what are you guys doing to reach the Kurds? And they're like, who? Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, you know, Ralph Winter used the language back in uh, the 70s, kind of the like the godfather of this unreached people groups idea. He used the term hidden peoples. Mm-hmm. And that that was because we were sending missionaries to countries and we were saying the task is finished in Nigeria because they were looking at it as a geopolitical nation rather than a socio-economic, ethnic, language, religion, nationality. That's really well said, and I think super important. And then that begs the question, like, okay, so this is what we want, right? We have believers across the, the United States, North America, that do live in geographic proximity, something that would have been unheard of 100 years ago, possibly, um, for a lot of these um, peoples. To me, a big thing is that just kind of a lack of awareness, um, but I would love to kind of hear your thoughts, either illustrating where somebody has a light bulb turned on or, um, yeah, just anything around that, just that gap between what needs to happen and then what our current reality is. Yeah, I think we we have defined missions for you know, just the modern missions movement for hundreds of years uh, about going. And there there have been people who have felt that I, I can't go. So, you know, initially, William Carey said he's going to the coastlands. Uh, Hudson Taylor, he's going inland. Uh, and then Ralph Winter proposed this idea of people group thought. And I, I really feel like we're on the cusp of a new wave of modern missions and that that is through the diaspora. And so, yeah, what what is it going to take? People have to see the value in reaching their neighbor is a means of reaching the ends of the earth. So what, what that looks like is we live in the age of technology that my Pakistani friends talk to Pakistanis more than they do Americans. And probably half of the relationships are still with people in Pakistan. And so what we don't want to communicate with diaspora is, oh, you can't go overseas. You're a second rate missionary. No, it's like, this is a strategic thing uh, in God's plan. Like if we think of, of Acts 17, when, when Paul is, is talking about how God has set the times and boundaries that people live so that, that they may seek him and some may find him. This is just like that Kairos moment. And so I think people need to first see the value in diaspora missions, that uh, a Bangladeshi believer in New York City can be reaching Bangladeshis in Bangladesh through media, through relationships, through WhatsApp. And then with the brothers on the field there, they're following up, they're baptizing, they're planting churches. Uh, Another example, so Bangladesh is an example, Uh, Iraqi Arab who was met in uh, the Northeast in a city who then went to Turkey is now reaching Iraqi Arabs. But if he wouldn't have been reached in that city in the Northeast, if it wasn't for the relationship with that missionary, he wouldn't know what to do and how to make and multiply disciples among Iraqi Arabs in Turkey. So we just live in an age where Travel is easy. Technology connects us. And God has brought, you know, thousands and thousands, millions, I can say millions of people to North America from the most gospel deprived regions in the world. So that's the first thing is people have to see this is strategic 
And it's not just strategic, it's good stewardship mm-hmm. of, of the resources that we have. Mm-hmm. And beyond the stewardship, it is, it is a responsibility. It is, it's a stewardship that God has given us. And I just feel like we're at the point in time that God is saying, they're here. <laughs> they're here. Like, what, what are you waiting for? Because I talk to so many people. I'm getting ready to mobilize. If the Lord allows me to go, I'm going to this country. And my response is, well, do you know those people actually live mm-hmm. just down the street? This is the thing I've seen as well is whenever someone moves overseas and they're starting from zero, it takes a long time to build an oikos, to get into an oikos. Mm. But if I build a relationship with a Pakistani in Dallas, Fort Worth, and then I tell him, hey, I'm going to Pakistan, he's going to say, you have to stay at my home. You have to tell my family what you told me about Mm. Jesus. And then I show up. And there's a large group of people. They're like, Muhammad said, we have to listen to what you say. And like, how long would that take yeah. if I just showed up in Lahore, Pakistan and started working? It's like that, that would take months yeah. to get that sort of audience with people. And we, we overlook sometimes that it's, it's the upper 1% that get to come to North America. It's, it's the people of influence in their home villages and cities. It's, it's people who are sending money back. And if we understand human nature, money, money means authority. Money means um, influence. Mm-hmm. And so those relational ties go back to their home country with influence. They come to Jesus, or even they're just, they're just open to the idea of us sharing with their family. The door's wide open. Mm. Yemen, and then an Indian Muslim that lives in Saudi. That was they like they're insistent that I come visit their family like sometime, and you're like, what? Like, and I actually wanted to put in a word as you've been talking. We've been talking about maybe Dallas, Fort Worth. I've seen this. I live in a city of thirty thousand next to a city of like one hundred twenty thousand, and the opportunity is there as well. You may have to search a little bit more. There's not necessarily like a, a big, you know what I mean. You're not going to be like, oh, that's where all the Kurds live, but the opposite side of searching that I've found in those smaller communities is they're not as insular as you said it. Like they're they actually don't have enough of a community to go to for everything. So the opportunity is actually even you can fast track that relationship because they're just surprised that a Westerner wants to even talk to them, let alone get to know them and their family. So I just wanted to put that in for anybody listening. Don't think you have to live even in a, a big city for to have this impact. Yeah, I would even add to that. There, there are small rural cities that nearly half of their population are from an unreached people group mm. because they come to work where, where we see this a lot is meat packing plants. So if you have a meat packing plant in your city, yep. the, the chances are a lot of Muslims are working there. Yep. Totally. Yeah. No, there's a city an hour and a half from me that that's there's over 300 Afghans, I think like 75 to 100 men that are working in like the meatpacking plant there. So, well, let's talk about just resources. Like how can somebody, besides just praying, opening their eyes, seeing what's around them, how can they um, really practically take some next steps? Yeah. I think one of the first things is, you know, if, if you are close to a metro city or you're not close to a metro city and maybe there's like a regional city, you know, you really want to have a population of over 25,000 uh, in a city to start to start looking. So that would be my first thing. It's like get to a population pocket and just start looking 
for people. So there, there's a couple of resources that you can you can use to find that. So uh, a website that I, I help contribute to focuses on um, metro cities. It's called upgnorthamerica.com. I'll, I'll talk more about it in a little bit, but that would be a place for larger cities. But if you're in a smaller city, there are a couple of websites such as uh, zabiha.com. That is a website that Muslims use to find halal restaurants, markets, mosques. And so you can just put in your zip code and tell them what you're looking for. And they'll show you, oh, here's a halal restaurant in your city. And if there's Muslims in your city, they're going to go to the halal restaurant or the market. And so that's a great place to, to connect. There's other resources like that as well for uh, you know Hindus and Buddhists. You can just search for, you know, Indian restaurants. That's that's probably where you're going to find Hindus, Thai restaurants or uh, Burmese. You know, you're going to have Burmese Muslims, Buddhists and Hindus. So you can just start doing a little bit of research online in your city and saying, where where are the people or who are the people that live in my city? So I would say that's the first thing is who are the people? The second thing is you got to meet them. You want to start answering the question, what are they like? So you want to learn about them, do a little bit of research online, and then you want to learn from them. Just meet them and say, hey, can, can we have a meal together? I want, I want to learn what it, what it means to be an Iraqi Arab. And just tell them, I'm, I'm, I'm learning. I want to research about Iraqi Arabs. There's a process. There's a, a form that we can, we can share in the show notes that gives you just some questions to ask. To help you learn about them. But then ultimately what we do is we bridge that to a spiritual conversation. So you find who are the people, what are they like? And then the third question is how, how can I share the gospel with them? What is the good news to them? And so that's ultimately where we want to get to is where we share with someone and find, okay, what, what is the receptivity? What are the barriers or what are potentially the bridges of the gospel into this people group? So those are those are like just three simple ways to get started. And then as things start happening, yeah, there's lots more that you have to learn and do. But I think sometimes in the West, we want to know like the whole game plan before we get started. But I think everyone can do a little research online, go have a meal, a tea or a coffee with someone and share the gospel just in a simple way and just see what what are the bridges and barriers and continue to learn that process of here's where they're at. This is what they're like. This gospel tool didn't necessarily land. Let's try something else and just continue that process. Yeah, so true. Even just being that, being friendly and genuinely curious about their culture and home country and religion and even their story of why they're here. I mean, those all just open the door for for deeper and spiritual conversations as you have those. So that's so good. Yeah, how about you tell us about um, UPG North America? Just what what would people find there? Why would they go there? I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, so UPG North America, we started it last year, so it's it's pretty new. We're still building it out. Um, the really, really probably just tell you the history behind it, why why it exists. So ultimately, ten years ago, the world, the Christian world, knew more about unreached people groups and villages in India than they did in places like New York City or Toronto. And so uh, at that time, Chris Clayman started researching unreached people groups of New York City. So that was kind of the, the idea and genesis behind it. He wrote a book. There was a guy uh, in LA who, who wrote a book similarly, who are the unreached or who are the language uh, nations and tongues of LA. 
And so really, we just took that idea and said, we want to do this for North America, not just the United States. We want to include Canada because Canada has some significantly unreached communities. And the the vision, like what are we trying to accomplish is we want to identify, highlight, and prioritize who are the least reached people group communities in North America. So it's answering the question, who are the people? Then we want to increase people who see the unreached because I think awareness, it awareness breeds and brings responsibility. So to increase awareness, we want people to see them. So we'll have pictures, uh, you see their points of interest. And then whenever you see them, we want people to be stirred to pray for them. So uh, focused prayer for unreached people groups. So we have tools and resources like prayer galleries that give you pictures of three significant points of interest. And then something we call a virtual prayer walk where you can use Google Earth to pray on site with insight for the you know markets, restaurants, places of worship that these people group in these cities frequent. And then ultimately, if people are knowing about it, they're praying about it, we want to see an increase in the number of people who are committed, encouraged, and equipped to reach all the unreached people group communities in the United States and Canada. So that the, the envision is there's, there's no place left of where the gospel has not gone among these unreached. And we just see that the pathway to get there is we got to identify who are the people. We got to help the church see them. We got to be praying for them. And then we need more laborers who are equipped, committed, and encouraged to engage them. And then more specifically, what, what will you find on the website? We have something called a priority matrix, which is the listing of unreached people group communities in North America. Uh, let me mention just a couple of caveats with that list is we're focusing on uh, people group communities of over 5,000. And the reason why is because we want to see a healthy indigenous reproducing church among those people groups. And we're highlighting or prioritizing where do we need gospel workers. So we're not saying that a people group less than 5,000 is less important, but Jesus said that the workers are few, but the harvest is plentiful. We want to mobilize people to where there's the largest potential harvest. So uh, I think it's more strategic to mobilize someone to work with 100,000 Punjabi Sikhs than 300 Rohingya. But in God's eyes, they are all valued the same. So sometimes people misunderstand our priority. It's really about cross-cultural workers. So that's the priority matrix. There's also some people groups that we exclude that are globally considered unreached because in the diaspora, they're majority Christian or a high percentage. Hmm. So some refugees or asylees come to the United States for religious persecution because they're Christian. So like, for example, yes, there's a ton of Buddhist and Muslim Burmese, but most of the Burmese in North America are Christian. Not all of them, but the majority. And so we're saying there's less priority to mobilize a worker there. It may be that our role is just to provide some training and coaching for the Burmese church to reach their own people. Mm -hmm. um, but we're saying who, who, needs, who needs the gospel? That's good, man. That's awesome. You guys have done that work. And I also wanted to ask you about coming up in September, basically like an unreached people's summit, or I don't even know the name of it in uh, Kansas City. Um, would love to know what that's going to be about, who who that would be for, who could benefit from it. Yeah, it's September 28th through 30th. 
uh, in the Kansas City, Missouri area. It's the Unreached Peoples of North America Summit. So this is actually not even connected to the website I just mentioned, but we're working in collaboration with several other people. And really, it is for people who are getting started. Uh, if you just know, I want to reach the unreached in North America, we're going to present here are the most strategic needs, and we're going to help people get started. If you're already started and you feel like you're stuck, we're going to have people who are maybe further down the road to provide some collaboration and problem solving. And it's it's really the I think the the main takeaway we want to see is coming out of this is it's a place to connect and communicate with people who are doing the same thing as you, who are asking the same questions as you. And together, our tribe grows uh, among that. And because really, if the body of Christ knew what the body of Christ knew, the Great Commission would be accomplished. That's that's something I've heard David Garrison say several times. And so these types of events where it's highly collaborative, it's it's about networking. It's about learning from one another and less about like learning from the sage on the stage. Okay. So that, that hopefully that kind of gives you an idea of the type of atmosphere we're trying to create here is it's not we're putting the expert on the stage. It's, hey, we're putting the people who have boots on the ground in a room and, and we're going to figure these things out from one another. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, well, thanks for for all these both resources and your work on this i'd love to just kind of to end give you the floor whether that's a story you want to share that would kind of vision cast or maybe it's just a a word god's kind of put on your heart when it comes to this uh, topic but we'd kind of love for you to to wrap us up with whatever you feel like god's put on your heart if you're listening you you have a heart for the lord and so often we will do a study from the scripture about god's heart for the nations and I think the the church individuals, we've made so many excuses to, I'm going to do this. That's my contribution. I would just challenge you and ask you to pray. Maybe there's a people group God's put on your heart. I'm going to challenge you to pray and ask, what, what is God asking you to do in that? So let's say, example, it's it's Gujaratis. And you're like, I can't, I can't move to India. I have five kids and there's special health concerns. Well, maybe you could move to Edison, New Jersey, where there's over 100,000 Gujaratis. Maybe maybe God has given you a heart. Maybe you took a short-term trip to Morocco and you fell in love with Moroccan Arabs, but you can't move to Morocco because you can't get a visa. Maybe you would consider moving to Montreal, where you can find uh, over 100,000 North African Muslims. So I, I don't pretend that I'm going to give any you know, lofty speech that's going to change your heart. I'm just asking you to ask the Lord, what what is it he would have you do to further his mission and multiply his glory on earth as it is in heaven? Be sure to check out the show notes at ontheroad.link, that's ontheroad.link, to find links to most everything Bud and I talked about. This is Feeney. Thanks for listening. The On the Road podcast is to encourage you and your church to share the gospel, make disciples, and reproduce leaders and churches until there is no place left where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard.